Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very accomplished individual from Washington, D.C., USA, Beth Howell. Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Beth is a best-selling author. She's a speaker. She's uh, a co-lead of uh, the Sustainable Development Goals 8 um, team co-lead. She's a co-author at the Sherpa Institute. She's also a co-author of Complicated Alliances, and we'll speak about all these. But, uh, Beth, let's start with talking about SDG 8, and for our viewers and listeners, SDG 8 is to promote sustained, inclusive, and sustainable economic growth, full productive employment, and decent work for all. So let's start with asking you a question. What are some of the challenges the world faces uh, with respect to SDG 8? The SDG 8 at a very high level is decent work and economic growth. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges is, um, I would say, with supply chain. Mm -hmm. And that may sound surprising, but where does your product come from? Some companies actually don't know. And when I say... Uh, your product, I'm talking about whether it's your cocoa, mm -hmm. whether it's, um, you know, your minerals that go in uh, electronics, uh, looking all the way down to the raw materials. Mm -hmm. That's probably one of the biggest challenges, because when you get all the way down mm -hmm. to the originating source, you might find you have child labor or slavery uh, within your supply chain. Sure. sure. And uh, if you could just elaborate uh you know, what you've just said about a supply chain challenge, uh, which could also have uh, issues of, uh, you know, the people who are working, which could be minors uh, or other such factors. Uh, it'd be great for our viewers and listeners if you can, uh, you know, share an example without names, of course. Okay. All right. Let's take, for example, um, cobalt. We know that a significant portion of the world's cobalt comes from the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Okay. We know that probably 20% of it or so comes from the southern part of the country where children as young as seven mine it. Mm -hmm. Now, seven-year-olds should be uh, carrying their backpacks, should be headed to school to first, second grade, uh, instead of going to the mine for the day. Now, when we talk about cobalt, we're not talking about the color. We're talking about that uh, raw material mm. uh, that goes into electronics. It goes into batteries. Mm. Now, when we talk about batteries, what are batteries used? And we're talking lithium batteries, lithium ion batteries. It could be the pacemaker. It could be the cell phone, uh, the um, electronic are uh, the toys, uh, remote control toys. Mm. So we're talking across a span of um, items that we all use every day. Mm -hmm. So we're not gonna tell people, hey, get rid of your pacemaker. That's not going to happen. Get rid of your phone. Um, we wouldn't be able to do this um, session today Correct. without mm -hmm. our electronics. Yes. So the key is how do we responsibly source. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to get to. Mm. And uh, what is the world doing in order to be able to res source responsibly? Because as you said very rightly, if 80% of the cobalt is coming from uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, what do we do? I mean, you know, we can't stop uh, business and therefore the world has to willingly buy. One of the 
things we try to do is work with businesses and help them understand what they can do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a matter of first being aware, being educated about it, mm-hmm. because I'm sure some people don't know. You can go two, three levels down in your supply chain, mm-hmm. but you're not at the originating source. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that some organizations are missing. You have to drill all the way down. Now, some companies that do things very well, um, I'll give you one example, uh, Intel. Now this was pre-COVID because COVID as we all know has impacted the world, but Intel actually sent people to Rwanda to go look at the source. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, where is what we're using coming from? Mm -hmm. That's by far the best way to do it because if you go and you have boots on the ground, you can see for yourself Mm. where your product is coming from, who's working with it, who's producing it. Uh, now, other companies, let's take small companies, for example, there are ma- the world is full of many small companies. That's mm-hmm. the biggest part of business, actually. Mm-hmm. So what can a small company do? Well, maybe I can't put boots on the ground. I can't go in person mm-hmm. to a different country to go look and see where my uh, every, everything in my product is coming from. Mm-hmm. But what I can do is maybe source from one of the companies that can do that. Mm-hmm. So there are options and there are solutions. Mm-hmm. And is this uh, fairly common uh, for uh, minerals, etc., across the developing world, or is it uh, restricted to a few countries? I'm going to say it's uh, fully across the world. Um, and when we talk about things like modern slavery, keep in mind we're not talking about just people working out in mines or in agriculture. Um, when you go to that restaurant, uh, the tea you're drinking, the cocoa you're drinking, uh, could be produced by child labor, could be produced by slave labor. Uh, that person serving it to you could be part of human trafficking. That person could be trafficked. Correct. So it's right, uh, it's in our face, it's around us. And the key is being aware. This is not, didn't happen overnight, won't be fixed overnight, but everything that we can do, we should. Mm. You know, uh, Beth, you're telling me something very interesting because I was speaking to uh, the head of a major uh, organization who handles child trafficking. And the numbers he gave me were what incredible. Apparently 16 million children are trafficked every year. And he said that's only what is reported. So you're absolutely right. But let's now move on and talk about uh, diversity. Let's talk about inclusion and equity. Why do you think the world is suddenly, well, not suddenly, but slowly ramping up to accepting that we need diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, I can speak to here in the United States, uh, for example, we've had some really tragic events, not that we haven't for decades on end Mm -hmm. or centuries on end, but some of them uh, were very much uh, publicized Mm -hmm. because today we have a phone we're always engaged, we're always in tune, we hear about it and we can see it. The video is right there for us. So it's not like we heard somebody tell us something and we had to just take their word for it. Mm -hmm. When the video was produced, you can see it for yourself. Well said. Mm -hmm. So I think we are, um, we're more engaged, more in tune to it. Mm -hmm. I do have one issue and that issue is all of the companies out there hiring a, uh, a diversity uh, officer, maybe their first one ever, mm. if they're doing it to check a box, 
they're not really making an impact. Well said. You know, this whole thing that you just commented, you know, that we shouldn't be doing anything just to check a box. And I think a lot of us find the easy way out. But I think we, we all need to have a, 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 you know, a big change within ourselves, which leads me to my next question, which is how can we remove biases in our society and our businesses? Well, the first thing is to be aware of them. Some people say, you know, I have no bias. Yes, you do, I do, we all do. So the first part is being aware. And then we can look at our, in, a, in an organization, we can look at our systems, our processes and policies and ask the question, why? Why do we say we need a college degree for that particular position? Mm-hmm. We really don't. Mm-hmm. Maybe a few certifications, but we don't need a four-year degree. So who am I eliminating by saying I need that degree? Very good. So, you know, now let me move. uh, As you said, we need to go down the line, but let me now go down the line uh, to the the base for for, uh, for our students. And I've asked this very often. At what stage should students in our schools and colleges be educated about this whole DEI issue? And uh, have you had any experience in how they react? I would say students, and when I say students, I'm going to go very early in life Mm -hmm. because you're a product of what what you know, what you've been exposed to. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you can get your two-year-old in the pre-K educated on DEI, it's going to be different terms a different way of doing it, that's where we should start. Interesting. And I am a, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. I'm a firm believer in that because some people don't get the insights at home. And it's not that those parents um, are racist or prejudiced or anything, but it may be so far removed from them that they don't uh, see the need for it. So I'm a firm believer that earlier we can do it. I would like to see it government supported, government funded in every level of education. You know, you're almost uh, answering my next question before I ask you, because I was going to just ask you a question. What do you think the government should be doing? I mean, you just said it should be government funded. But what else should the government be doing to make sure that these kind of discriminations uh, at least start getting addressed and hopefully over a period of time disappearing? There are many things that governments can do. And for starters, um, I I know it it varies around the the globe. It really does as Mm -hmm. to what requirements are for different uh, entities, whether it's a police force, for example, uh, whether it's uh, a government uh, level um, law enforcement agency. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to start really at, at the beginning, start with the people who are internal to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a matter of training. Maybe it's a matter of testing. Maybe it's a matter of uh, encouraging and coaxing and just changing how people think. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to go to their graves with a hate in their heart. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. But I believe there are 80%, I'll say 80% in the middle, Mm. and you can move those people. I would like to move those on the lower end Mm. all the way um, 
to the right side where they understand that people just need to be treated with dignity and respect. Interesting. And you know, Beth, when I was reading about you, uh, you work with companies and you also say that you provide counseling at the workplace. Um, help me understand the type of counseling that you do for this particular subject and uh, what is the process you follow? Well, I help organizations with things like compliance audits, which is checking a box. But then I always talk with them about going a little bit further. You have to go beyond uh, compliance to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I have also uh, coached young people, for example, who are having challenges in the workplace with how they're treated mm -hmm. about what they can say, what they can do, and what actions are legally available to them to take. Because some people just don't know. Right, right. Interesting. So let's move on now and talk a little bit about the Sherpa Institute. Tell me about this and the work that you're doing at this institute. Sherpa Institute is a think tank. Uh, at Sherpa, what we're doing is creating a series of corporate guidebooks for the UN Sustainable Development Goals. In particular, I am a co-team lead and co-author on SDG 8, which is sustainable um, which is, uh, forgive me for a second, I'll look at my list here, decent work and economic growth. Mm -hmm. uh, I say it all the time, so yeah, just escape yeah, me for okay. a moment, mm -hmm. these things happen. Mm -hmm. um, what we're doing is just creating a series of corporate guidebooks, like the examples I talked about earlier. Sometimes companies just need to know where to start, where to begin, but you can't just go to where your vendors are. You have to start with your own employees. Mm -hmm. They have to be educated. They have to... Um, understand uh, what the issues are, because they may not know, they need to be aware that child labor or uh, slavery could be within uh, their product line. And uh, a follow-up question for you would be that how aware are the people you work with about the SDGs and then about SDG 8? Okay. Interesting that you asked that. Uh -huh. um, sometimes I work at conferences. I'll uh, present, um, be a moderator. I've met with people, high levels and organizations, and some say, oh, yes, we're doing uh, all of these things. And they can rattle them off and tell me exactly what they're doing with the SDGs. Mm. Very familiar. And then I've had other people at high levels who say, that's not in my vernacular. I don't, I'm not familiar Mm. which really surprises me. Um, again, it's just a matter of education. Yeah. Once a person knows um, what they are, they can actually go back, look at their organization and see the impact they're already doing because most companies are already doing something for a positive impact. And to be able to uh, address the matter of inclusive and sustainable economic growth and full productive employment, I would imagine you need a lot of buy-in from the corporate sector because they're large employers. Well, the corporate sector can make a difference. When we look at the UN um, SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, those were written for countries, not for companies, not for organizations, not, <clears throat> not for um, businesses. So what we're trying to do is break it down to show businesses how they can work towards those goals too, because it's not just a government um, initiative. It's something that we can all do, even as individuals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so now let's move to uh, the next part, uh, which is about your book. 
complicated alliances. And I, I, all my viewers and listeners know that I'm very partial to authors because you know I always say that anyone who can put their thoughts out in a book and put it out in the public domain needs a lot of courage. So I'd love to hear from you a little bit about Complicated Alliances and what led you to write this book? Uh, what led me to write it is a wonderful person by the name of Dr. Karen Hills Pruden reached out to me and said, Beth, would you like to take part? Mm -hmm. And I want to speak on that for just one moment. Empowerment, reaching out, raising others up. Mm. That's what we should all be doing because we can all like uh, our conversation here, mm. building each other up, supporting each other. That is what we should be doing as humanity. Mm -hmm. Now, this book, Complicated Alliances, is a story about, uh, it's uh, an anthology, if you will, mm -hmm. about military women, women serving in the military, mm. or those who married into the military. In my case, I did both. I uh, served as an Air Force Reservist myself many years ago, mm -hmm. but I also married a, uh, a military person. Mm -hmm. And the part that I shared was about my experiences, the impact to my career. Mm -hmm. And again, this was uh, kind of like a sisterhood, uh, mm -hmm. women supporting women, will, uh, women building each other up. Mm -hmm. And this was when uh, uh, the spouse was probably serving uh, in some other country, is it? Um, my spouse would go places, uh, didn't, um, deployed sparingly, uh, not as much as some other spouses did. Um, but in my case, I shared the impact the, uh, service had to my career because we didn't choose where we went to live. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody gives you an assignment and you go mm -hmm. and jobs don't grow on trees in certain areas. Um, you, you take what's there, um, I know in one location, I decided um, there was really no work available at my level at the time. Mm -hmm. So I decided to get a master's. Some people ask, well, mm -hmm. why did you go to that particular school? And I said, well, it's a very good school. Um, you know, and it's just, it's the one that was there and I happened to be there with it. So, you know, I, I can empathize with what you're saying because my father was a, a brigadier general, um, yeah. a highly decorated soldier. And I knew I used to see my mother, uh, they both know more. But I used to see my mother and she used to struggle about her career as well. But, uh, you know, the sisterhood that you spoke about, I'd love to get to understand from you, what is the support that you were all giving to one another? Uh, in the course of writing this book, um, basically talking, being available, uh, being able to answer questions, we would have meetings. And we also um, learned how to make sure we were promoting our book. For some people, it was a first-time effort. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, I'll share with you that I have another one forthcoming. Okay. It's uh, also an anthology of sorts. Mm -hmm. It's called Mini Hearts. Now, in some communities in the world, people will do this. It makes a little mini heart with your fingers, mm -hmm. uh, your finger and your thumb. Mm -hmm. And I had a group of friends who uh, were here in the U.S. at the time. Some mm -hmm. still are. Mm -hmm. Uh, we would uh, go hiking together, lunch together, go to outings together. Mm -hmm. And we decided to write a book together mm -hmm. and it's called many hearts. And that one is forthcoming. Okay. It's a book by um, 17 women from 13 mm -hmm. countries. Mm -hmm. And we share our experiences growing up. It's a little bit about uh, where we're from, mm -hmm. our favorite foods, our favorite games. Mm -hmm. Did you know hopscotch was played the world over or hide and seek? Yeah. Uh, we may have called them different things, but the, the point of the book is to share, again, back to DEI, uh, without using those words, 
we had so much in common before we ever met, but we're all different from different places. We still met, connected, and became friends. And today, we consider each other sisters. Fascinating. So I've got time for my one more question, Beth, and I'm going to talk to you about culture. You know, culture impacts everything that we do. Uh, you know, uh, you spoke to me about the Sherpa Institute and you've got people working in, in my part of the world. You spoke to me about complicated alliances, which, you know, where you're working with all kinds of uh, backgrounds, uh, you know, in, in the army, defense bases. Now you're writing a book uh, with women from 19 different countries. How do you tackle the whole element of different cultures and putting them all together into one book? One of the things that we do is we accept the differences. Mm -hmm. uh, we share, um, uh, one of my uh, dear sisters is an illustrator. So mm -hmm. she's illustrating the book for us. Mm -hmm. um, and what we've done is on the page that talks about our favorite holidays, mm -hmm. she created an illustration that shows um, our different holidays together. Mm. So you have uh, Diwali represented, you have Christmas represented. So different holidays around the globe. And it's basically just a matter of, you know, we can all wish each other happy Hanukkah. We can all wish each other Merry Christmas yeah. or happy Diwali. Whether we personally celebrate those things or not, we can celebrate with others and support others and their celebrations. Mm. Fascinating. And I have to ask you my last question now. What does, you know, does it mean that, uh, you know, you're going to be meeting each other uh, regularly, you know, socially across multiple countries? Because that would be just incredible to actually physically meet one another, COVID permitting. Yes. Well, we do have some uh, discussions going on about how we will re reconnect um, we met here in the United States. Uh, many of them were here on uh, like diplomatic um, uh, positions uh, with their spouses. Mm -hmm. um, so we met here. So we do stay in touch. Uh, we created our own WhatsApp group. Uh, so we stay in touch about everything going on in everybody's lives. Just it's a way to stay connected. Mm -hmm. Now with COVID, travel's been an issue, but it is opening back up. Mm -hmm. So we do hope to get to see each other. I talked with one of my friends about going to Thailand for a little bit. And she said, oh, you will be two hours from this country, two hours from that one. Yeah. So when I'm there, uh, I'll have the opportunity to see um, several people. Fantastic. Beth, on that note, uh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for talking to me at, at length about SDG8, about diversity inclusion. Uh, thank you for talking to me about your books and uh, all the very best for your new book. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure being with you today. So thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.